Hi, and welcome to the Circle of Film podcast. I'm Ryan, and join me as we step into documentaries and foreign language films in the fifth part of my ongoing genre breakdown for 2016. This is probably going to be one of the shorter episodes uh, of these genre-specific ones. As, uh, you know, other than animation and short films, documentaries, well, looking at the groupings, there's probably one more incredibly short list to go through, uh, but this one is probably going to be on par with that. Uh, You know, as many documentaries and foreign language films as there are, they generally don't make their way over to the to America that often. And other than the 10 films that are nominated, or, well, the five foreign language films nominated at the Oscars, the five documentary films nominated at the Oscars, the five short documentary films nominated at the Oscars, and the number of foreign films that get, and documentary films that get nominated for uh, original song or animated feature or live action short, Outside of those, it's very unlikely that most people will see a foreign film, uh, you know, let alone even know about it. And while I'm not necessarily most people when it comes to movies, you know, I regretfully think that I'm still woefully below where I want to be in terms of these two uh, genres. Uh, These are both kind of mega genres as foreign language doesn't really describe anything about what the content of the movie is other than how it's going to be spoken in and documentary can cover pretty much any topic it wants so long as it's something real and not fiction Uh, but let's uh let's jump into this shall we there are only three films i've seen from 2016 at this point that satisfy both categories so three foreign language documentaries. Two of them are short films uh, nominated for the Oscars this year. Those are 4.1 Miles, which I gave a 61, and The White Helmets, which I gave a 52. Uh, you know, neither neither of them left a, a very memorable imprint on me after seeing them. So I there isn't too much for me to say in regards to uh, their content. Uh, the feature-length film is Fire at Sea, which is uh, an which is nominated for Best Documentary Feature, and I gave it a 37. I, I really didn't like it. Uh, my review on Letterboxd alluded to the the fact that it feels like a film that's kind of trying to be two documentary films, and not su- succeeding at either of them because they're both included. You know, you can't pull two directions and expect to go in a straight line and reach your destination it just that's just not how things work and i so you know it look like this category of films in the past uh, you know has has definitely yielded some pretty good stuff i'd say you know last year you had a girl in the river the price of forgiveness which i thought was great uh, fantastic even 
you had Winter on Fire, Ukraine's Fight for Freedom, which I thought was fairly good. Uh, going back to 2014, there weren't any. Going back to 2013, there were four. Uh, Cutie and the Boxer, which I quite enjoyed. Um, and Joanna, I liked as well. Uh, as well as uh, Wajda, which might be miscategorized. It doesn't come up as a documentary. Let's see, Wajda. From 2012. No, it's not. Why is it? My mistake. Anyway, anyway, uh, so 4.1 miles, white helmets, fire at sea. Nothing that special, nothing that stands out. And I think that, save for, uh, save for uh, like a, a select few films, the, you know, foreign genre of documentaries doesn't impress me. It's tough because they're generally speaking on topics that, one, I have no idea, I have no background information on. And speaking in a language I don't know, which is being translated into English, and then I'm generally being presented with images that I'm not familiar with. And while most people generally think that documentaries should be windows into worlds you don't know, I, I don't completely agree with that. I think that the best documentaries are ones that you can comprehend in scope and premise. Uh, so something like OJ Made in America is incredible because even though I wasn't a lot, well, I mean, I was alive for most of the events that take place in the film, but I wasn't aware of what was happening because I was too young. But I'm, you know, I see a date like 1996 and I can, or 1994, or 19, whatever. And I recognize like, okay, I know where I was at that point. I can understand the climate of the United States at that point. They're speaking in a language I recognize. They're using a legal system and they're talking about a sport I know. So like I have my bearings. I may not really know where we're going or where we're at, but I have my bearings. I can I can recognize landmarks along the way. Uh, and so I think that is the biggest issue with foreign language documentaries. Um, and uh, more often than not, it, it it's very difficult for for these films to overcome that that language barrier, that world barrier, even. So moving on to just foreign films, uh, there's quite a few, and I think they're all fairly good. I, I think the foreign films that I've seen this year are very, very good, uh, with The Handmaiden, currently my number one film of the year. Your Name, uh, the animated film, is, is one of my top films of the year. Train to Busan and The Innocents, I think, are great, uh, very very great. Tony Erdman, The Mermaid, and Mr. Donkey, I think are very good films. Uh, you know, Tony Erdman is a very comedic drama. 
The Mermaid is comedy sci-fi from Stephen Chow, who is one of my favorite directors. Mr. Donkey is just straight comedy. And I, for a foreign film, it landed a lot of jokes with me. Then you've got Elle, uh, Isabel Huppert, nominated for Best Actress uh, this year. Mirzia, which is uh, more of a Bollywood film. And Krampaktig, which is a short film. Uh, but those are all decent, good, uh, you know, not bad films in any stretch. And then Jungle is another short film that is just okay. But if that's the worst you can do, like, that's still very, very good. Uh, you know, a great, a great kind of uh, collection here. And from from all over, you know, you've got Train to Busan from Korea, Your Name from Japan, um, ooh, Tony Tony Erdman is from Europe somewhere, uh, Germany and Austria. As well as the Innocence, uh, which is from France and Poland, you know. So, you know, they kind of touch on a lot of things. Uh, the Mermaid and Mr. Donkey are both Asian-based. L is new is uh, Europe. Mersia, India. Krampaktig, I believe, is also German. You know, and so for me. My, when I think of foreign language films, the ones that I tend to gravitate more toward are the Asian films that I've seen. You know, I think, you know, like uh, Chanwook Park, particularly, uh, a lot of Japanese animation, and I, I think I, I really connect with quite significantly. Um, you know, You know, as well as, uh, you know, but there's still there's still a lot of good European films out there. Son of Saul, Mustang, Embrace of the Serpent from last year. Uh, a Man Called Uwe, which is also nominated for Best Foreign Language and Best Costume and Makeup, I believe, uh, is, is good, is, is very good, for sure. Uh, Wild Tales from 2014, Force Majeure. A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night, Phoenix, Mommy, you know, there's so many great foreign language films, and it's a shame that we don't really get those over here, except, like, within small theaters and sort of cinephile circuits. Uh, generally, the biggest, uh, biggest response comes to Studio Ghibli, or... You know, something like Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. And that's kind of the point that really depresses me the most. You know, we go back to Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. Came out in 2000. Uh, you know, it rocked the United States like no other foreign film had really done. You know, plenty of foreign films had been nominated for tons of Oscars before, you know, you had Life is Beautiful a couple years before that, 
you know, there's um, Il Postino from 94. Uh, there's Das Boot from 82. Fanny and Alexander. Uh, trying to see here. You know, you had uh, all of um, Kurosawa's films from the 60s, 50s. You know, Throne of Blood, Seven Samurai, Rashomon. And then you can go all the way, way back to like the 30s for M, uh, Unchien Andalou, The Passion of Joan of Arc, Metropolis from 27, Battleship Potemkin from 25, Cabinet of Dr. Caligari. You know, there are a lot of really great films. And then finally, in 2000, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon comes out. It's nominated for 10 Oscars, including Best Picture and Director, Adapted Screenplay. It wins Best Foreign Language Film. It wins Score, wins Production, wins Cinematography, and is also nominated for Costume, Film Editing, and Song. And it misses Best Picture by to Gladiator that year. Uh, and misses Director to Traffic, uh, which I, I don't terribly disagree with, personally. You know, it misses adapted screenplay to traffic as well. And it's a shame, and not, firstly, not that I think that it was the best picture that year, uh, or that it was the best picture nominated, but I, I do think, you know, I would, I would have picked traffic, personally, of the nominations, and... But at that same point, you know, I wish that it had won. And I think that if Crouching Tiger and Dragon had won 17 years ago, then in the last 17 years, we would have seen a huge uptick in foreign language film popularity. You know, Lord of the Rings came on the scene and all of a sudden fantasy films became less niche and more real they they became actual films that people cared about that people wanted to see and that studios were willing to make uh in in unmasked and then you know you can kind of see that every year um it, it's just you know you you've got brokeback mountain in 2005 that you know in a time where homosexuals were still struggling for rights and legal marriaging abilities. They got this movie that really just shone a light on that issue. For better or worse, it brought that issue to the forefront, and it's a shame it didn't win Best Picture because Crash is significantly worse. But... Uh, you know what? What could have been all all these alternate realities in in the cinema world if a little if one gold statue is tweaked the other way? So I think that if Crouching Tiger Hidden Dragon wins, I think that the Academy really takes a hard look at foreign language films outside of the foreign language category, and that's why personally I never I don't have a like if you look at the Circle of Film Awards on my website circleoffilm.com, I don't have a foreign language category. I don't have an animation category, a short film category, documentary category, because I don't think I need them. 
there's an anim there's an there are two animated films, one foreign language film, and a documentary film in my best picture nominations. And not that there's always going to be that wide of an that varied an array every year. There certainly wouldn't be, but simply having that option, you know, doesn't limit me in the way that it seems to be limiting the Academy. And furthermore, it kind of you know, spoils everything when you see something like Toy Story 3 nominated for Best Animated Feature and Best Picture. Because how can it lose Best Animated Feature if it's also nominated for Best Picture? It makes no sense. Not that it shouldn't have been nominated for Best Picture, and or, or you know, maybe even should have won, but it, it just doesn't... There's that That's inherently flawed. In, in the way that the Academy breaks things down. And I don't know that the solution would be something like, you know, let's say, let's say if a film gets X number of first place votes for best, fi- best foreign language, best documentary, best animated film, it automatically becomes a best picture nominee. I think, and instead of being nominated in its category. But, even then, it's it's even at that point you think well. So you know, if Toy Story three doesn't win Best Animated Feature in twenty ten, and instead you know it goes to How to Train Your Dragon, or uh, you know, or or whatever it ends up being then, uh, you know, how valid is How to Train Your Dragon's win in Best Animated Feature? So, it's tough, you know, I, I don't think, I don't think that there's an easy solution. I don't think, there might not be any solution, really. And uh, that's that's a problem, and I, I don't I don't really know how to address it. But I, I think I wish that they would think of some answer, some solution, some way to avoid this conundrum. You know, there's no reason that you know if 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 Tony Erdman wins Best Foreign Language Feature this year, which it's projected to do. Is it on par with La La Land if La La Land wins Best Picture? Is it automatically not on par because it wasn't nominated for Best Picture? Was it even considered for Best Picture? Duh, you know, are, is, does that mean that Hacksaw Ridge and Hidden Figures and Moonlight and Manchester by the Sea are better than Tony Erdman because they did get nominated for Best Picture or not? You know, it's it's an issue that puzzles me and i i've heard i I listened to this other podcast the next next best picture podcast they do a lot of a lot of oscar talk uh, which i love and frequently and and just recently the hosts were discussing kind of the the sort of narcissism that's inherently in the academy and how why blockbusters aren't really part of the uh, oscars at all you know with a couple of like 
notable exceptions, you don't see $100 million movies, $200 million movies, billion dollar movies showing up. You know, Titanic is a huge exception. Avatar is a big exception. You know, Dark Knight was an exception. Uh, You know, Nolan has somehow figured out a way to get his films, those nominations, and have them be blockbusters. You know, you've got Batman Begins got nominated for cinematography. Uh, Dark Knight won for uh, Best Supporting Actor and Sound Editing and was nominated for six other awards. Sound Mixing, Production, Cinematography, Makeup, Film Editing, and Visual Effects. You know, that's, that's huge. He's got... Inception, which was nominated for eight things and won four of them. It won sound editing, mixing, cinematography, and visual effects. Uh, also being nominated for screenplay and picture. Uh, and Interstellar, also nominated for five awards, won visual effects, nominated for score, editing, mixing, and production. He... He's able to keep putting out these movies that somehow appeal to both crowds. And on the other, you know, like if you if we look at last year's uh, last year, you had Mad Max Fury Road, which was for the most part, I would say, a blockbuster, not a huge one, but but a definite definite blockbuster. The Martian kind of straddled that line. But other than that, and outside of uh, Force Awakens, which went home empty-handed, you know, all the other films here are not huge films until you get to, like, Inside Out. And then a couple of films that were nominated for just one award. And this year, you've got, I don't know, Moana, I guess, is a pretty big blockbuster. Rogue One. Fantastic Beasts, but none of them are nominated for more than two awards. Zootopia, nominated once. Jungle Book, once. The Doctor Strange, once. Suicide Squad, once. Star Trek Beyond, once. Trolls, once. Uh, and uh, that's it. You know, like La La Land and Hidden Figures have both hit 100 million domestic, which is great, but, you know, there's no... Uh, Captain America Civil War no Deadpool and while I personally wouldn't have you know nominated them for anything but I, like the the it stands you know there's an inherent problem with the structure of the Academy with the way that it awards movies and how it lays out its categories and it's not just blockbusters it's foreign language and documentary films which are suffering as well you know, I can't think of the last time a documentary film was nominated for anything other than documentary feature and original song. I don't know what else they'd ever be nominated for. And I'm sure there's maybe one or two exceptions if I if I looked, but as far as I'm aware, there haven't been. So it's kind of a tangent. <laughs> Sorry. Anyway, back to the foreign... So, foreign language films. This year, 
kind of, you know, kind of just reinforces the fact that there are great films across the sea in every direction and across the borders in every direction. And we are continuing to ignore them to our own detriment. Uh, You know, I look, you know, a film I watched from 2017 already, Journey to the West, The Demon Strike Back. Not a good film, you know, firstly. But it is such a different film from anything that comes out in the United States. And if we rewrite history and Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon wins Best Picture, there's a chance that some of the elements in Journey to the West that don't appear in American filmmaking might have cropped up by now. You know, the cartoony CGI effects, which seem ridiculous to us now because we don't have any movies or shows with them. But Japan and, or I think it's China, China loves it. They they love that shit, you know. This movie did billions of yen over there, you know, some incredibly high number. And... Uh, you know, there's got to be something to that. You know, if if some something is is achieving a success, I don't. You know, especially now that Hollywood is catering more and more to China, I don't know why we're not looking to see why these movies are succeeding and how uh, Hollywood can better adjust accordingly. Okay. So then, lastly, documentary films. Uh, again, some very good ones, some very bad ones this year. Uh, we'll start with OJ Made in America, which is amazing. It is eight hours long, but it's amazing. 13th uh, and Wiener are both great, great looks at their respective topics. You've got Supersonic, the Oasis documentary, which I think is very, very good. Amanda Knox, The Beatles, Eight Days a Week, Extremis, Tickled, and Audrey and Daisy are all good, but not very good, uh, with only one of those being nominated, uh, Extremis nominated for Best Short Documentary. Then Life Animated, Before the Flood, and Lo and Behold, Reveries of the Connected World are all fine. Uh, Life Animated nominated for Best documentary feature and i thought it was fine i think it's it's quite trite in my opinion and it doesn't give us it just kind of does what you'd think it would you know you read the synopsis of this movie and you pretty much know what's happening you know what's going on you know where it's going to go and then it does it and you cry and you move on it doesn't really leave a lasting impression uh, Jim the James Foley story, nominated for Best Original Song, uh, is slightly bad. You know, it's just kind of like a puff piece about this guy and pushing him up on a pedestal. Then there's Joe's Violin, which is quite bad, nominated for Best Short Documentary. And then finally... <laughs> uh, Enter the Battlefield, Life on the Magic the Gathering Pro Tour. Yeah, I was quite into Magic the Gathering not too long ago. And so this was recommended to me by my grandparents. And while it doesn't really shine a light on anything new for me, 
I still think it does not do a good job of representing, you know, Magic the Gathering, the pros at all. I, I think it's it's definitely dumbing itself down for the sake of people who don't know anything about Magic the Gathering, and that's I don't I don't I don't know why anyone would want that, you know. And finally, at the very very bottom of the barrel, Apparition Hill, which is a rare film that receives a zero from me, uh, you know, far beyond its religious matter. It's simply the incredibly bent uh, direction and editing and storytelling that the film uses. It constantly makes fun of the people who are claiming to be atheists or agnostics in the film without any, you know, control on this whatsoever. It does not, you know, it, it does not let things play out naturally. I think that the filmmakers and the camera interfere with their, these people's lives and adjust the story to help make it seem more religion positive and I think that that's bad filmmaking it doesn't you know it's that's not the way you make a documentary so so what this is showing me is that the two best documentaries this year are both um, focused on the world and the impact that various decisions made with the idea of race. Uh, you've got OJ Made in America, which is about a man that during his heyday literally transcended race. You know, he's not black, he's OJ. You know, a guy who was in this, the eye of at least this country for multiple decades as a hero, as an athlete, as a criminal, as a killer, as whatever he is to whoever you talk to. And the fact that this year had OJ Made in America and the People vs. OJ shows that 20 years later he is still in the eye of society, which I find bizarre and incredibly compelling because... This documentary just paints the most incredible picture of this man. He is unlike anything I've ever seen, and I find that fascinating. Thirteenth deals with, you know, kind of like a hundred years of time or more, I think 200 years of time, uh, since like the inception of the 13th Amendment, and showing just how biased and racist the criminal system is, against black people for mandatory minimums and rise in drugs and drug crimes and things like that. And it goes all the way up to present day infusing quotes from Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump uh, released during their campaigning uh, before voting this year, this past year. You know, so very current and very insightful, very you know, detailed of a look at how horrible this corrupt judgment system is on 
non-white people and maybe even more specifically black people and that's horrifying you know this is a country that from as best as i can describe it a country founded on peoples of varying faiths varying creeds varying skin colors varying sexualities varying nationalities and languages play uh, you know people that are from every corner of the world and the way i always relate it to is something like if you look at the olympics you know and you know let's say it's a track and field event it's like the 100 meter dash and you know you're scrolling down the the camera pans across to show all the different competitors and you know you see see a uh, you know say it's a guy from japan it's a guy from uh i don't know uh a guy you know you've got a guy from japan why can i not think of any other countries <laughs> hold on a second uh kenya that was the country i was trying to think of you got a guy from Japan, a guy from Kenya, a guy from America. Those are the first three people. 99%, I think, you're going to be able to tell that the person that's from Kenya is from Kenya. He's black, and that's what people from Kenya look like. And the guy from Japan is going to look like he's Japanese, like exactly how you imagine a person from Japan would look. But the guy from the United States could literally look like the guy from Kenya, could look like the guy from Japan, could be white, could be Indian, could be some other, could be European, you know, could be Mexican, South American, and that person is still from the United States. And that's what I personally love about the idea of this country, not the reality, but the idea of it is which is that you know it's a melting pot and it flourishes when you open up the dialogue to all these different voices and yet you know in this country the small there's a small number of people who all think very very similarly who ruin it for everyone else anyway um so 13th uh yeah so you know these films you know it's easy to make a snap judgment and say that you know oscars so white from last year kind of led into these movies and i don't think that that's the case i feel as though OJ Made in America for sure had to have been started in production well before that took place. 13th was probably also, uh, but I'm less sure about that one. And, you know, it's it's just showing that we've gotten to a point where, you know, and I, I'm going to see I'm Not Your Negro very, uh, this weekend, so I'll have yet a, a third Uh, race-centric documentary to kind of compare. It's supposed to be very good. 
And that will kind of just continue to further enforce the fact that we've gotten to a point in this country where the number of injustices against non-white, non-straight, even non-male peoples is so large that there are an incredibly huge number of topics to talk about for two hours, for eight hours, uh, from various angles, from different mediums, and, you know, not run out of things to say. You know, between the eight hours from OJ Made in America, and I I think it's a 13-episode series, uh, OJ, The People vs. OJ, like, that's 21 hours of OJ in 2016. That's a day's worth of OJ. It's talk. And then you add 13th, and I'm not your Negro, you're over a day's worth of uh, racial black injustice talk, which is astounding. Uh, it, it should not be like this. And I think that there's a good chance that we just see more of it in the years to come, particularly with the direction that the political climate is heading there's a very good chance that you know we'll continue to expand this into other prejudice prejudiced uh prejudiced against groups of people um you know i don't think and to the best of my knowledge i don't think there's been a very high profile uh pro homosexual stance documentary film to this, to the extent that Thirteenth and OJ Made in America have received notoriety, there hasn't been pro homosexual films uh, in the same vein. You know, last year you had, or the last years or year or two, you've had. Um, uh, what have you got here? The Hunting Ground, you know, and about rape on college campuses and how poorly protected women are in that sense in those scenarios Uh, you've got citizen four from 2014 which was speaking out against how you know unjustified the actions taken by the government are and kind of revealing those to everyone Uh, you know 2013 had let the fire burn which i think is fantastic and highlights an incident where police just made an awful decision that that effect that adversely affected a huge number of people. You had blackfish uh, and how poorly animals are treated at SeaWorld. You know, there's inequality for all. We steal secrets. The story of WikiLeaks. Um, girl rising. Uh, the act of killing. Terms and conditions may apply. The Unknown Known, Crisis Hotline, Veterans Press 1. You know, all these films that touch on these very sensitive issues that are being perpetrated by people in positions of power in this country and others against a smaller denomination of people or people not in power. Uh, people, so, you know, these all these situations of people abusing power, it's become a very common theme in documentary films. And 
I don't see that trend changing. And it shouldn't change until some of these issues get addressed or fixed. You know, we saw at the Golden Globes just how politically charged everyone is. You know, nine nine out of ten acceptance speeches referenced Donald Trump or Hillary Clinton or, you know, Congress or the United States and politics. I fully expect a lot of that to come up again this in in a week and a half when we see the Oscars. You know, it kind of goes back to when when Michael Moore won for Bowling for Columbine. And how his, you know, he tried to speak out and speak his mind and they shut it shut his microphone off. And that that doesn't sound like free speech to me, but what do I know? I'm not part of the academy, am I? Anyway, tangents abound. Uh, so, documentaries. They're about bad shit that happens to a lot of people. And racial climates. That's it. That's all I got. That That is Documentaries and Foreign Language Films, Part 5. There are three parts to go. I have tw- 10 days, uh, and that's not including whatever other episodes I have to, re- I, I want to release within that amount of time. So thank you for listening. I greatly appreciate it. Go to circleoffilm.com for any and all information and old episodes, the Circle of Film Awards, uh, information on scavenger hunts that I take part in. Uh, or send me an email to circleoffilm at gmail.com. Happy to receive any and all messages you're willing to send. Uh, and as always, have a week. So long, farewell, I'll be to say goodnight. Come on, baby, when we paint the town. And all that jazz. So long, farewell, I'll be to say Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute.